Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, on this day, as we commemorate All Saints Day, we remember one saint in particular who was not noticed by anyone but Jesus, uh, the widow and her offering. And Lord, uh, may her generosity uh, open up our hearts to be generous people as well. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our text today is Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 38. That's on page 844 in the Bibles, if you'd like to follow along as we continue through Mark's gospel. Sometimes uh, the things that seem really big and important are actually not really all that important at all. They're actually small and insignificant. And sometimes the things that are really small and insignificant are actually really big and important and worth our attention. Human beings aren't usually the greatest judge of which is which, but Jesus is, and that's what the sermon's about today. Uh, for one, we see that in our Old Testament reading, 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, in the context of that story, you have a really important, powerful king named Ahab. He kind of thinks he's a big deal. Uh, but he also worships idols, and he oppresses people, and he ignores the word of God spoken by Elijah the prophet. And so even though he thinks he's a big deal, he's really nothing, in fact, less than nothing uh, in the grand scheme of things. But then there's Elijah, the prophet from the middle of nowhere, and he uh, is told by God to go to somebody who seems really small and insignificant, a widow on death's door living beyond the border of Israel in the land of Sidon. And uh, Elijah goes to her, and God uses something really small and insignificant, a handful of flour and a little bit of oil left over uh, to provide for himself and the family. Uh, and God will use that little, small, insignificant thing to sustain Elijah so that he can go and do something really big, like confronting Ahab and calling the people of God back to himself. Sometimes big things are little things, and little things are big things. We don't always know the difference, but God knows, and that's what we're talking about today. In our gospel reading, Jesus is people-watching. Um, he's just kind of sitting there watching people uh, in the temple. This is the last time that we'll see Jesus in the temple before he actually exits the temple and pronounces judgment upon it, uh, which would come to fruition in A.D. 70, sometime after his death. Uh, as Jesus is people-watching, he is weighing people's motives, and he's actually pronouncing judgment about big things that are really small things and small things that are really big things that deserve our attention. You see, when we sit and judge people, as you might do when you people watch, we make all kinds of wrong judgments. But Jesus sees all the way down to the heart, and he makes right judgments. He calls big things little things and little things big things. Take, for instance, the scribes. The scribes 
are considered to be, in their own opinion and the opinion of others, very important. And so they like to stroll around in the marketplaces uh, dressed up in their nice white robes, which would distinguish them from the commoners who would dress in other colors. And they would intentionally do this to seek the adoration and the attention of the common uneducated people. They had the best seats in synagogue and the best seats at every dinner. They prided themselves in making their prayers big and long and fancy. But Jesus doesn't have the same regard for them. In fact, Jesus is not impressed. They are not big and they're not important in Jesus' eyes. Jesus sees them for what they are. They are hypocrites. They are pretenders. They are religious peacocks strutting about trying to gain the favor of other people rather than the favor of God. And so in his teaching, Jesus says very directly, beware of them. And he even says that they will receive the stricter, harsher judgment on judgment day. In other words, on the day of judgment, all of the scribes' importance will be called less than important nothing. And then there were the offering boxes that people would bring and drop their offerings into. Uh, Back in this time, uh, in the temple, uh, there were 13 boxes where people would come and drop their offerings. Uh, And this would have been a busy place during Passover. People from all around uh, the Greek-Roman world were there to worship. Now, to understand, uh, the different, uh, to understand how impressive these offerings would have been, you have to understand the difference in how they gave their offerings and how we do. Now, uh, online giving aside, when we give our offerings, we usually give them in those little white envelopes. And there's a certain amount of anonymity, right, in those white envelopes. Uh, If there is a $20 check in that envelope or a $2,000 check in that envelope, it looks the same and it weighs the same, right? You can't tell the difference unless perhaps you're looking closely. But uh, in the temple in Jesus' day, people would come and they would bring uh, coins, these large Roman coins of gold or silver, and they would drop those coins very visibly, very publicly into the offering plate. And so uh, imagine that you have somebody who has a really big offering, and, and say that's like a big sack of, of coins, and imagine them standing there and for five minutes, wait, there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And imagine the sound that that metal would make as it hit metal. Clank, clank. The bigger the offering, the louder the noise. And people would have stood around and oohed and awed, and they would have said, wow, those people are are so generous. Those people are so holy. God must be impressed with those people and their offerings. But did you notice that Jesus wasn't impressed? Not even a little bit. He didn't think that such offerings were all that important because he saw them for what they really are. Jesus saw that those offerings were rich people giving the leftovers of what they already had plenty of. They were small gifts in God's eyes because evidently they came from small hearts. But did you notice in our text today that there's somebody else 
Somebody who Jesus notices. Now, this person that Jesus notices is really small and insignificant. And she does something that seems small and insignificant, but it ends up being something really big and important in Jesus' eyes, even so big and important that Jesus grabs his disciples and says, check this out. I want to show this to you, what happened. See, there's that one poor widow that meanders her way through the crowd. Nobody would have noticed her. Unlike the scribes, she has no social standing. Unlike the rich, she has no importance or power or leverage in society. But unlike the scribes who knew the word of God so well, she actually heard it and understood it. Through the little bit of scripture that she probably heard in the synagogue each week, she knew and believed and trusted in God's word. Nobody noticed her, but Jesus did. In fact, Jesus calls his disciples together to point out the seemingly small thing that she did, which is really a big thing, an important thing. Into that offering box, she dropped in two small paper-thin coins. They probably would have barely made a noise on the coins below as they fell in. These two coins that she dropped in are called in Greek lepta, Alepta is the leftovers. Alepta is what you see on the ground and you don't bother to pick up, right? Um, Alepta is not a lot. Now, uh, the audience that Mark wrote his gospel to was likely Roman, and they didn't know Greek coins any more than you and I do. And so you'll notice in the text, if you have a little study note there, it'll say down on the bottom uh, that two lepta equals a Condrantes. Uh, Mark adds that for his Roman readers so they know how much money this was, or actually how little it was. Uh, and in that study note in your Bible, it says uh, that a condrantes was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage, a denarius. So a denarius would have been a coin, a silver coin that was worth one day's wage. Now, this two lepta that equals a condrantes was one sixty-fourth of that. So to think about that in modern-day terms, uh, this would be a day wage. So let's say that somebody's working eight hours a day sweeping floors at a construction site, and they get $10 an hour, and that equals $80 a day. That's their daily wage. Now, one sixty-fourth of that would have been $1.25. It's not a lot of money. It's going to get you a stale donut at Casey's or maybe kind of a trashy hamburger off the dollar menu, right? It's, it's not much. Um, that's basically what she gave in modern terms. Now, remember that there's no social security back then. There's no safety net except for the generosity of others. There's no government-issued food stamps. This was literally all that she had to live on. But she knows something that the scribes knew in their heads but didn't really know and believe in their hearts. She knew the story of her God who had rescued her ancestors from their slavery in Egypt. She knew the story of her God who had provided the, the manna, the bread from heaven, and the water from the rock during that time of need and lack in the wilderness so long ago. She knew the story of the widow who provided for Elijah. In First Kings, she knew that. She believed it, and she trusted it. 
And that's what motivated her to put that very little into the offering box. And that's what got Jesus' attention. The gift was so small that no one would have noticed it, but Jesus saw it and he noticed it. And he even used her gift as an example of what true faithful giving from the heart looks like. Jesus says that she gave more than all the rich gave because they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Once again, what seemed really small and insignificant was actually really big and important in God's sight. The truth is that even if our gift is small, It's big in God's sight. If it is sacrificially given in faith, and by sacrificially, I mean that it costs us something, that it maybe makes an impact on our budget or the way that we live, that it means we actually say no to something so that we can say yes to God and his kingdom. Even if our gift is small, if it's given sacrificially, and if it's given in faith, then God sees it, and he notices it. But likewise, even if our gift is big, so big that it could fund a missionary or build a new addition to our church, even if our gift is big, it's actually really small and insignificant and nothing before God if it's given as the extras or given as the leftovers. This past week, I watched as my kids spread out their candy on the kitchen counter. They did really well this year. Um, They were candy rich, for sure. Not anymore, they're broke now, they ate it all, but uh, they were candy rich. Uh, And of course, as the parent, you get to skim some off the top, you you know, the dad tax, pay up. Um, Now, I'm not a big candy fan, I don't like candy much, uh, but you know, if if I do go to the grocery store or, or if I'm at the gas station, sometimes I might get an Almond Joy. Um, I do like Almond Joys. Now, it was really easy for my kids to give me all of their Almond Joys because, number one, they had plenty of candy to spare, and number two, they don't like Almond Joys. I don't know many kids that do. It's gross coconut stuff with nuts in it. Um, so it was easy for them to hand those over to Dad. But what if my kids loved Almond Joys? What if it was their absolute favorite candy that they never got? And, and what if they only had one of them instead of many? And what if that one Almond Joy was just part of a whole bunch of disappointing candy, like Smarties, right? Those are the, my opinion, uh, that Smarties are the most disappointing candy that you can ever get on Halloween. Um, let's say that among, among all the Smarties and dental floss that they have just one Almond Joy, and it's their favorite. What would it communicate to me if they gave it to me? It would communicate that they love me and also that they trust me, that they trust that, hey, next time we're at the gas station, Dad's going to be generous. He'll get us an Almond Joy. We can give him this one, right? There's trust. There's love there. You see, when resources are abundant, giving isn't hard, uh, unless you're a real miser. 
But when resources are limited, giving can be a challenge. It can hurt. It's like when you're super hungry and you're about to eat the last of the leftovers of the favorite meal that you could ever have. It's uh, you're thinking all day about, I'm going to get home and eat those leftovers because it's my favorite meal, and you're famished, and then either your spouse or your sibling walks in and says, hey, can I have some of that? And immediately you're like, no, <laughs> nope, <laughs> not even a chance, right? Um, when that happens, you face a conflict between how much you love someone and how hungry you are. But when you really love someone, you see the bigger picture and you're willing to say, sure, you can have it. I'll share my sandwich with you. Or maybe even you can have the whole thing. As Christians, we are able to say to God, you can have it, even when we don't have much. Not because of how much we love God, but because of how much He loves you. You see, there's only one Jesus, right? There's only one Son of God who took on human flesh. There's only one. But when God saw you strangled in your sin and in your death, He said, you know what, you can have my only Son. Even though there's only one, because I so loved the world and I so loved you that I gave Him so that you would not perish and so that I would have you forever. And Jesus Christ, God's only Son, so loved each and every one of you so much that He gave Himself for you. The one life that He had, He gave it everything. All of His blood poured out for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus really did have a choice to live or to die. And He chose death so that you and I could have life he was eternally rich, and yet he chose poverty so that through his poverty he could make you and me eternally rich and so that we could belong to him forever by his grace alone. And when you get that kind of love into your heart and into your mind, generosity naturally flows from that motivation, whether the gift be small or be large. I've heard it said before that you can be generous without loving, but you can't be loving without being generous. Thinking about the, the widow's offering, I want to adjust this quote just a little bit. Um, that you can be generous without understanding the love of God, but you cannot understand the love of God and not be generous. You see, the scribes and the rich people who were bringing their, their, their offerings in the temple that day, they were likely generous people who were known for being generous, but did they really know the love of God and did the love of God motivate their generosity or did they give out of duty or pride or maybe expecting a reward? Maybe the reward of people looking and saying, wow. But that one poor widow she understood the love of God. It wasn't just an idea for her. It had gotten into her heart. And she more than understood God's love. She trusted it and entrusted her whole life into that love. She banked her whole life on it. And so she gave more than all the rich combined gave that day with those two small lepta. 
In fact, her generosity was noticed by our Lord, who then shared it with his disciples, who then shared it with Mark, who then shared it with you and me and the whole church through the gospel. And for some 2,000 years, this woman's seemingly little gift has inspired rich and poor alike to give, not out of their abundance, but actually out of their need, to the point that it really does cost something. How many churches and missionaries owe their funding and their existence in some part to her example, to her story? How many people have heard the gospel and inherited eternal life because of, in some part, her seemingly small gift that Jesus noticed? So the point is this. If you think that your gift is small and insignificant, think again. If you give sacrificially, if you give out of faith, Jesus sees it. Jesus notices it. And it's big in his sight. In fact, he builds his church on that kind of gift. And if you think that your gift is big, maybe think again. Are you giving God the Smarties or are you giving him the Almond Joys? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you generously gave all for us that we would not perish but have life. Loosen the hold that our money has on our hearts and lead us to see it no longer as ours but as yours so that through our gifts more people would become yours and join us in glorifying you forever. Amen.